You know, it really is amazing just the amount of pathology and weird stuff that we see every day in labor and delivery, and we kind of get desensitized by it, right? I mean, now it's veto growth restriction, abnormal Dopplers. Okay, wah. I mean, we see that all the time. Yes, that's bad. I'm not minimizing that. But, you know, we see that. We see the hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, right? We see the gestational diabetics. That's the routine stuff. But every once in a while, you'll see something and you're like, Oh my goodness, I, I read about this. I know exactly what this is, or I suspect that this is, but it may be the first time that you actually see it. Well, that's exactly what happened to our team recently. So this morning, I'm driving to my clinic, and one of my partners reaches out, who is a fantastic provider. I, I love her. She's great. Dr. Lickrad. She's like, hey, I wanted to ask you about this thing, because uh, I swear I saw Bandles Band, and the residents hadn't heard of it. And so first, I got the ice pick in my heart. The residents have never heard of Bandles Band? And then I started thinking, well, I guess it is kind of rare. But if, if it's not discussed, if we don't talk about this thing, how many cases have actually been seen? But nobody attributes it to what it actually is, which is a pathological labor-induced constriction band around the uterus. So have you heard about Bandles Band? It kind of is a dangerous issue, and it's been linked to some real, real morbidity. I'm talking about some really bad stuff. So I told Dr. Lagrad this morning, I'm like, you know, that's a great idea for a podcast. We should really go over this because it's nothing new. It was first reported in the late 19th century. We're talking about anywhere from 1870 to 1890, although the exact time is debated. And I'm going to go over a lot of that debate here in the intro in just a minute because it's super interesting. Uh, because even the name Bandles Band may not be right. It may be Barnes Boundary Line Abnormality. What? If you haven't heard about that, you're going to in this episode. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about something called Bandles Band. Um, and there's a lot of weird stuff out there, a lot of little case reports, a lot of, uh, of, of anecdotal reports that are published. And one is just down the road from us here in College Station uh, out of Houston in the 1990s from somebody I respect very much. He's still the chair of the OB Consensus uh, Committee for ACOG which is Mark uh, Tarantine, because he actually published something in the late 1990s, or was it early 1990s? I'll tell you in a minute, related to Bandle's band, all right? So it's amazing when you start doing research, like, oh, hey, look, Mark did something. Super, super cool. So we're going to cover Bandle's band because it's not the Loch Ness Monster. It's not a folklore. Uh, people see it or they don't. No, it is real, but you got to know what you're looking for, all right? Especially since now we've gotten kind of loosey-goosey with labor rules. There is some fear. There is some medical uh, experts coming up and saying, man, if we're letting women go a lot longer with this protracted labor, are we going to see a jump in Bandles Band formation, all right? But in order for us to know what a Bandles Band formation and a sequelae is, we've got to know what causes it. And so we're going to cover all of this. What's Bandles Band? Is it, is it uh, Barnes Band, Boundary Line? Uh, and how, more importantly, how do we deal with this when we find it at C-section, all right? Because invariably, this goes to section because the pathophysiology is the reason you're getting a section, which is obstructed labor, okay? And as Dr. Lickrad said this morning, man, sometimes if that band is super constricting around the baby's neck or shoulders, it is super hard to get out. Think vaginal shoulder dystocia, but at a C-section with a muscular contraction band clamped down around the shoulders, 
Think about that. So it's difficult. It is linked to morbidity. So let's end the intro uh, and get into Bandel's ring or Bandel's band in this episode. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get into the data, I want to share with you this story that that happened about a year after I got here. I think it was like 2016 to our current academic institution. And uh, and I had gone in because the patient had been in labor for a while. She had protracted labor and she was re- relatively thin, uh, young, young patient. And she was lying on her on her back. This is a, a big testimony, everyone. You, you got to see the patient. OK, and go see her. Uh, yeah. Boom. Wow. What a what a brain blowing thing there. You got to go actually see the patient. Uh, and I looked at her abdomen as she was lying on her back with a little tilt. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, because on her abdomen, the uterine contour kind of had an hourglass shape. Does that make sense? So there's a little indentation right around her, 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 her umbilicus, around her uh, belly button area. This little indentation and this really kind of, uh, you know, mound of a fundus because she's really thin and you can actually palpate this little step off. So I'm like. Uh, I'll be right back. Let me discuss this uh, with one of our residents uh, really quickly. I told the nurse, look, I think this is obstructed labor. There's something going on here with the uterine size, uh, uterine shape. And, and this is, we're going to go for a section. We're not waiting anymore. Okay. She had already fallen off the labor curve. So I called the resident and I said, Hey, you ever heard of Bandel's band? And I guess I should have prepped that with some more question before. <laughs> like, hey, I just saw the lady who's in obstructed labor, and I think it's Bandel's Band. But no, of course, I just said, hey, have you heard of Bandel's Band? And so this resident, uh, and I'm not making fun of the resident at all. I just think it's so humorous. Just follow me here, right? Do you know where it's going? Do you guess? And I said, have you ever heard of Bandel's Band? And this resident, she goes, uh, no, are they any good? But I'm bumped. No joke. I promise you. I'm like, what? Who? It's like Bandel's band. Like, what do they play? No joke, guys. And I, okay, so in my high stress of this lady has a Bandel's band and may have a uterine rupture, I started cracking up. I'm like, oh my goodness, you've never heard of Bandel's band? She said, no. So, well, come on down because I'm going to show you what that is. Anyway, so we sectioned her and there was a uterine kind of a constriction ring, but but a constriction ring is a little bit different than Bandel's band. So I don't really think it was a Bandel's band. Short of it is she had a section and everything went fine. But... Uh, yeah, so Bandel's Band is not a musical group, all right? It's an abnormal formation of the uterus, and we're going to talk about that. But the first thing to cover is how to spell Bandel, okay? There is no E at the end. Sorry, it's like potato. Wait, is there an E after potato? No, there's no E after potato, right? Now I have to look that, <laughs> look that up. I told you all English is a second language. I'm telling you, I learned border English, all right? And for those of you not in this country, the border of what? I'm talking border of Texas and Mexico. That's where I learned my English. So deal with that. But Bandel does not have an E at the end. It is B-A-N-D-L, Bandel. 
and that comes after Ludwig Bandel. And even that's controversial because remember we talked about uh, in the lead-in and then the first intro that it probably should be called Barnes Pathological Constriction Ring, not Bandel's Band. But I'm going to get into that in a minute. But this is, I want to just tell you what it is, and then we'll talk about pathophysiology and some of the morbidity that's been linked to that, including uh, Mark Tarantine's paper from 1994 in the American Journal of Perinatology, because it's super interesting. But so anyway, think about this, right? What is the lower uterine segment? Okay, so the lower uterine segment doesn't exist in gynecology, right? There is no lower uterine segment in gynecology. There's the cervix, there's uh, the isthmus, uh, there is the body of the uterus, and then the fundus, right? That's the, that's the gynecological uterus. But in obstetrics, in labor, the top part of the cervix, right, the internal cervical ring gets taken up uh, upwards, uh, based on muscular contraction and relaxation, into the formation of what is a lower uterine segment. That's why when we do a low transverse C-section, on all the nurses' notes, it always says it was a, a low cervical, low transverse cervical, because we're actually cutting in that upper cervical ring. That's the lower uterine segment. It's not really part of, of the uterus. It's the cervix at the top that gets effaced and then pulled upwards to become the lower uterine segment. Of course, physiologically and anatomically, the lower uterine segment has to form because that's what allows the baby to drop and descend. Otherwise, if the uterus maintained a rigid pear shape, the kid couldn't move. Is that wild or what? I mean, think about it. It's amazing. The lower uterine segment, the uterus makes a new part of itself, which is the upper part of the cervix, the internal cervical ring as it effaces and pulls up to form the lower uterine segment. So the LUS, the lower uterine segment, is specifically a obstetrical uh, designation, okay? It doesn't exist in, uh, in, in gynecology. All right, so you've got that lower uterine segment as a thin, ballooned area. You've all seen multiple sections. You've been there, the protracted labor, where the lower uterine segment is paper thin. Well, now think about what's happening up at the top. Remember, most contractions begin, of course, uh, in the top a fundal area, usually around, based on, on electrophysiological studies, around the tubal ostea, right? So, and, and the serosa up, up on top. And so if you have an obstructed labor, the idea is that the super hypercontractile fundus becomes hypertrophic. So you get the, the muscle fibers that become basically tetanic, and rather than them relaxing and having their normal length, have this tetanic contraction, contraction, they're working out, working out, they're pumping it, pumping it, pumping it, and so the muscle fibers get shorter, okay? So what you end up happening, what, what ends up occurring is that the fundus becomes hypertrophic, the lower uterine segment becomes paper thin. Do y'all get that? That's a step off. Okay, so what you have is this weird demarcation line between the supramuscular fundus trying to pump that kid out, um, but due to some whatever abnormality, whether it's uh, oxytocin receptor deficiency, um, obstructive pelvic outlet, whatever, uh, it's just not functioning. So the lower uterine segment continues to balloon, the fundus becomes hypertrophic, and so you get this where they meet where that boundary meets, all right, is called Bandel's band. And the idea is it can be such a, a severe difference in, in muscular thickness that it can further obstruct labor and either hold up the child's uh, head or neck or shoulders, okay? Now, it's, it's a little circular argument because some are like, oh, it's an anatomical defect in how the little urine segment forms. So that causes dysfunctional labor. That's one thought, but that's not the majority opinion. 
vast majority of the experts and the literature states that this is probably not a cause of dysfunctional labor, but the result of dysfunctional labor and the ones it forms obviously doesn't help labor anymore. Okay, so at some point, it, it, it's a response to an obstructed labor. And then once it becomes hypertrophic and you have that step up, obviously labor is going to be jacked because the uterus is not working well. Okay. So Ludwig Bandel. But before I get into him, let me show you this controversy because I actually found back in, in the British Medical Journal, BMJ. Okay, how cool is this? So I found a report in BMJ that was published in 1891. I'm telling you, we have a fantastic uh, medical library at Texas A&M, uh, the Medical Science Library. And I'm like, hey, can, we, can you please dig this out of some archive? And sure enough, within 24 hours, they sent it to me. Published 27 June 1891. Now, y'all know that's pretty cool, right? But in this in this commentary, it's so fascinating because people are people no matter what century you're talking about. But there's a physician named Barnes, okay, who is arguing that we're all calling this Dagon constriction ring the wrong name because Barnes came up with it first. All right. So I want to read to you this report, this correspondence by uh, Robert Barnes from the British Medical Journal back when it was first published, criticizing people calling this band Bandle's Band, uh, published in 1891. Okay, so let's get into that next. I've said this before on previous episodes when I've found very historic writings from the American Journal of OBGYN or the American Journal of Perinatology. And, you know, those journals that have been around forever. New England's been around for a long time. But British Medical Journal, I mean, that's legit. I mean, that's been around for a long, long time. So in in this edition of BMJ, there's this correspondence by Robert Barnes, okay? So apparently he's writing in response to a physician named Dr. T.A. Helm who described this difficulty during an operative intervention with this thick contraction band and T.A. Helm's called it Bandle's ring, okay? So, oh, I came across what Bandle described as his ring, yada, yada, and yes, this is a real thing and it's difficult, okay? So that set Robert Barnes off, okay? So, so listen to what he says in this correspondence. Quote, I believe he, talking about T.A. Helms, who wrote the original uh, letter, I believe he is right in his view, but when he calls this ring Bandle's ring, it is right to remind him that I described this ring first under the description of the boundary line between the middle and lower zones of the uterus in 1847 to 1857. That afterwards was then called Barney's Os Interior, meaning somebody else had put his name on it in 1872, then Bandle's Ring in 1876, and more recently, it's been called Schrodker's Contraction Ring. Now, let me stop there for a minute. I'd never heard of the other names. I guess Bandle's kind of stuck. But anyway, so now you have Robert Barnes going, look at all these different names that are out there for this contraction ring, and I did it first, okay? So he goes on to say, quote, by the right of priority, it should be called the Barnes Ring. Remember, his name is Robert Barnes. 
end quote. So let me stop there for a minute. So I just think it's interesting that, um, remember, if you ever have a good idea, don't tell anybody about it until you successfully do it or launch it, because someone's going to take your info. <laughs> so should we be calling it uh, the Barnes Boundary Line, or should we be calling it Bandle's Band? Whatever Bandle did, and I can't find his original writing, okay? Because I looked for it somewhere between uh, that year here in this correspondence. It says that Bandle stated it was Bandle's ban in 1876. And I looked for it. I can't find it. I did find one uh, uh, article in German, uh, literally. Like, it's it's out of Germany, and it's all written in German. So I, I can't read German. Uh, and I tried to translate it, and it, it failed miserably. Uh, so I can't really find that original writing, but apparently based on this correspondence, uh, this uh, Barnes uh, was replying to Bandle calling it Bandle's Band in 1876. Okay, so remember this letter saying it's really Barnes' boundary line was published in 1891. Okay, so he was saying, look, uh, I called it first, and then I actually published it in another article in BMJ, and I finally wrote it in my memoir, uh, in in eighteen ninety, and so now this is my letter, my little pissy letter in eighteen ninety one, and I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm just saying this poor dude. I mean, if he really did call it first, then we should be calling it Barnes Boundary Line versus Bandle's Ring. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting because I did find that. Uh, so there you go, and I'll put that reference to to his letter to his correspondence in BMJ in our reference list. But I think we got better fish to fry. Okay, so we briefly talked about pathophysiology, right? An obstructed labor, hypertrophic fundus, thin lower uterine segment. So the question is, is that just annoying or is it linked to some real issues? Uh, and the answer is no, it's linked to some real issues. Okay, this has been linked to uterine rupture. It's been linked to fetal demise. In, in there was a case I'm going to show you here. I'm going to read it to you in a minute. But like horrifying, okay? You're like, what the heck happened? Where the uterine contraction band basically uh, occurred between the chest uh, and, and the pelvis of a fetus and, and basically strangled blood flow because it was right about the level of the umbilicus. What I mean, this is this was published as a case report in the Journal of Ultrasound and Medicine, and it wasn't like from the fifties, okay, uh, nineteen eighty nine. How about that? I'm going to read that horrifying account for you in a minute. Uh, it's been linked to uh, facial trauma if the contraction band uh, is around the baby's face. No joke. I'm going to give you that reference here in a minute, uh, and of course, it's been linked to uterine rupture. All right. So dysfunctional labor, it's been linked to uh, uh, uterine rupture, it's been linked to uh, fetal morbidity, uh, like uh, cranial trauma, uh, and at the worst, heaven forbid, it's caused fetal death. Now, intraop, if you have a very thick band and you're like kind of stuck, then we'll talk about management in a minute, but if you have to teeth, if you have to cut into the band, obviously that can cause postpartum hemorrhage, okay? So real morbidity here. But before I get into some of that morbidity, the question is, well, how do you diagnose this? Uh, and the answer is there really is not a good way. Okay, now there's actually been some thought, some some experts who've said, maybe we should get an MRI to look for this abnormal step-off, this abnormal thickening of the fundus and the thin, uh, paper-thin lower uterine segment and measure that step-off. Who's going to take a patient to who's in labor with a protracted labor to an MR scanner to find this? Not very practical. See, that's where you can be so academic-y that you're of no practical significance, okay? Now, I'm not going to take my laboring patient to an MR to look for this. I'm likely just going to do a section.
There's also been some ultrasound publications that have tried to give a protocol for the intrapartum ultrasound detection of Bandel's ring. There's no set protocol for that. I mean, it all looks like a thickened fundus. I mean, they all look that way. But just to give you those two references, because there are two that, that are pretty good, and I don't want to get into too much detail because I don't think it's validated. Well, well, it's not validated, and I wouldn't know what I'm looking at clinically with an ultrasound. I'm going to make that diagnosis based on protracted labor if the patient is very thin. Sometimes you'll see that hourglassing abdomen like I've talked about in our lead-in intro. And sometimes you don't find it. You don't make the diagnosis until you're at a section. You're like, oh, that's a contraction band. Okay. But one of the authors who published the ultrasound observation of Bandel's contraction came from the International Journal of Gynecology and Obstetrics in 2004. Okay. The author is Bushimi. I'm going to, I'll post that in our reference list. But again, 2004, in the International Journal of Gynecology and Obstetrics. You're like, man, 2004, don't you have anything more recent? I do. I'm glad you asked. Because in 2015, uh, in the International Journal of Gynecology and Obstetrics, the same one, um, Tinnell uh, puts in their description of the intrapartum ultrasound detection of Bandel's band, okay? Uh, and it was, um, sorry, I missed an I. It was Tinelli, T-I-N-E-L-L-I, Tinelli. Okay, so you've got two articles describing ultrasound detection of Bandel's band in the same journal, International Journal of Gynecology and Obstetrics, 2004, and another one in 2015. And they all basically say the same. Oh, and the lower uterine segment looks very thin. And then in the fundus, it's a thicker, and you can see this kind of line of demarcation. But who's got expertise in that? Um, I mean, I don't. Again, most of these diagnoses is found after the fact at time of C-section. But to be legit, there is data out there on the ultrasonographic observation of Bandel's band. If you want to do that as a journal club or look up those articles, it's in our reference list. Now, just to be fair, the ultrasound publications are legit. Those are in print. The MR reference to, you know, to MRI reference for this detection was a, a perhaps we could consider. It was a discussion. Uh, it wasn't a publication on MRI. Right? So I have to be very clear. I did not find a publication describing MRI use for this, but it was uh, in the discussion on ultrasound. Like, perhaps we should consider MRI for this I- investigation. Who the heck is going to take a patient down in protracted labor to an MRI scanner to look for this band? You're just going to do a section and see if it's there or not intra-op. Anywho, I wanted to clarify that to be absolutely clear and transparent. I did not find an MRI description of Bandel's band, but there are some pretty interesting stuff on ultrasound. All right, podcast family, when we come back, I want to highlight just some of these weird, morbid issues that have been published. One of them is uh, is out of Houston uh, with Mark Tarantine. That was basically just a failed VBAC uh, because it uh, a, a contraction band happened, but still in morbid condition, right? It, it, it explained why that TOLAC uh, was not functional. But there's been some real stuff like a fetal death that's very, very odd. And I want to read you that report here. Uh, just to let you know how, how severe this thing could be. So let's do that when we come back and then we'll end the episode with some quick uh, ideas and what's been put out as expert opinion on how to deal with a contraction ban when found at time of C-section. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's do the one that's not as morbid because I got to build up to that one, okay? So Mark uh, Tarantine, again, he's still at uh, UT Health in Houston, but he published this in the American Journal of Perinatology in 1994. Uh, and I'm very proud to say I was not practicing then. Thank you very much. Dr. Tarantino is fantastic, but he is a little older than I am. But um, and, and again, I still work with Dr. Tarantino. I admire him so much. He is the chair of the OB uh, Care Consensus Committee. I find him fascinating. I mean, I think we all should have professional role models, don't you? I mean, I, I really do. Like, I, I want to be like Dr. Tarantino. I mean, he's just brilliant. I think he's just amazing. Uh, and above all that, he's humble and super nice. Super cool. Anyway, so he published in the American Journal perinatology, quote, recurrent bandles ring as an etiology for failed vaginal birth after cesarean section, end quote. So we always get thought about, you know, oh, she's a tolac and uterine rupture. But one of the things that could explain that outside of the uterine injury itself is this abnormal uh, uh, step off between a hyper uh, contractile fundus and the very thin lower uterine segment, because the tensile forces there uh, or abnormal, okay? Now, this wasn't about a uterine rupture, but it does make the case that it's things to consider, especially in a scarred uterus uh, that gets abnormally thin, you have that weird step off. Just always be thinking, please pay attention to these Tolex. They are high risk just by their nature. And we get so desensitized by it. Ah, there's a Tolac patient. Okay, fine. They, they are high risk. Uh, and again, just to be clear, this 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 case report by Dr. Tarantino is not highlighting the uterine rupture, but it did fail. Uh, it did uh, highlight the, the failure of, of a TOLAC with a bandles band it, it causing that uh, as a form of morbidity in terms of a failed TOLAC. But then we get into some really weird stuff, like a case report published in 1989 that I just mentioned not long ago, causing fetal demise, okay? And you're like, what in the heck happened? This is in the Journal of Ultrasound and Medicine, from 1989. And no, I wasn't practicing then. Thank you. It was like in high school. Okay. But th- this is so sad. It's so crazy. Just listen to this case report uh, and what they describe. Quote, a severe mid-uterine axial constriction contracted the fetus at the level between the chest and the kidneys. So you're like, well, what's between the chest and the kidneys? Uh, the umbilical blood flow? And they go on to say the placental insertion site was at the fundus and the cord had to pass through this constriction to reach the umbilicus. The umbilical cord was thus severely compromised. The fetus was deformed by the constriction and the cross-section area of the fetus at the level of the constriction was about half of what it was above or below the constriction. Because of this anomaly, the prematurity, the severe bradycardia, and the maternal wishes, no intervention was made. End quote. Now, this was this was not at term. Everybody relax. It's not a 42-weeker. So this is it's got to be the right, the perfect storm of a premature child. In this case, it was 24 weeks. So it's already small. And then you get this. Uh, this contraction band by this by this abnormal labor, and then and this is what occurred. Okay, 
So your first response is, well, it's 24 weeks. I mean, was that real? How much did the band contribute to this demise? Uh, everything. I mean, it, it deformed the child's abdomen. So again, this is super extreme. I don't want you to end the podcast going, oh my goodness, horrific. There's obviously other issues going on here. But just to let you know, we're talking about some morbidity. Yeah, this is real. Now, this is likely not going to happen at term. Okay, But at term, you can also have other sets of issues like what Michelle Loria published in the Green Journal in 2007 as a separate case report, okay? So in the Green Journal 2007, the title of this case report is, quote, Pathological Uterine Ring Associated with Fetal Head Trauma and Subsequent Cerebral Palsy, end quote. Yeah, so this this constrictive band basically caused so much cranial trauma that it had intracranial hemorrhage. Okay, crazy. So this this went on. The child went on to develop cerebral palsy. So super rare. Uh, again, not common. But this is the extremes of morbidity that Bandel's band can happen. Usually, it just it's a side effect of dysfunctional labor. It just augments and reinforces that dysfunctional labor. Patient gets a section, maybe some. Uh, increased blood loss as you tee, uh, if, if you tee the constriction band to free the shoulder or whatever's entrapped, okay? But but this this case report by Michelle Laurie, it's actually, it's two cases, uh, both causing severe cranial trauma leading to, to severe neurological injury. So if somebody says, oh, Bandel's band, that's nothing. It's just a part of, it's just normal side effect of dysfunctional labor, not if it's at the level of your umbilicus at 24 weeks and not if it's at the level of your head uh, giving you abnormal compression. So it is linked to some real adverse issues here. The other issue that it's linked with, of course, is uterine rupture. Because as we mentioned, those tensile forces are just they're just not equally applied. You have that step off. So it is ripe for uterine rupture. Well, now that we're at the end, what the heck are we supposed to do with this? I mean, well, number one, high index of suspicion. Two, see the patient, lay your hands on the abdomen. I mean, tell the patient you're going to touch your abdomen first. I mean, don't be weird. Check the abdomen, see if you feel anything. The problem is with our BMIs getting higher, um, this becomes difficult, right? But I'm telling you, I remember that case so well. Uh, that happened to me when I looked at this abdomen. I'm like, oh my gosh, is something going on here? So if the patient is thin enough, and this is a, a real issue, then th- there could be these markers, these soft signs for it. Now, don't do a C-section because that's your only finding. Again, if you're considering this as a diagnosis, it's already because there's an, a protracted or abnormal labor, okay? But it's something to document, something to, to talk with your team about, and something to consider. Like, Look, it happened to our team. It's out there. In terms of, of how to release this at section, well, it depends on where it's at. And that's something I want to clarify here, okay? Because not all constriction bands of the uterus, guys, listen to this, are bandles. They're not. So sometimes the uterus can have a, a, a circular muscle fiber spasm. It, it's legit. Now, it presents just like a bandles band. Clinically, it's going to give you dysfunctional labor, results from dysfunctional labor. But here's the catch. Those constriction bands don't move. Okay, so it's a spasm, just kind of sits there, and you don't have the the thickness differential between the lower and upper uterine segments. Okay, that's just a constriction band. 
That happens. Those are easier to relax because usually once you incise the uterus, the band kind of gives. But a pathological ring, a bandles band, actually progresses upwards. So think about it, right? So you've got the balloony lower uterine segment, uh, and it's at one point. But that margin, that demarcation between the thickened fundus and the ballooning lower uterine segment uh, now moves upwards, up towards the fundus as the muscle fibers of the fundus get shorter and shorter and shorter and more hypertrophic, hypertrophic. So it's moving, okay? So if you ever ask what's the difference between a muscle spasm contraction ring and a bandles band, it's easy is that one is a spasm and it doesn't change locations. The other is progressively moving towards the fundus. And at some point, something gives. That's why it puts the patient at risk for a uterine rupture. That's a kind of a cool clinical pearl, okay? But there is not one technique on how to release this because, again, it's just not reported that often. I mean, some have stated that this happens at 0.01%. I'm like, that's pretty darn low. But others say, no, it's just underreported. It could be as high as 0.8, almost 1%. You just got to look for it especially in obstructed labors. And how many times do you see something like, that's kind of weird, take it for section, but nobody reports it. Nobody documents that. That's why these numbers stay kind of low uh, in the weeds, okay? But one of the reports, uh, or one of the experts, uh, which is the most obvious is, well, if you've got a band, just cut it. I mean, you're still in the lower uterine segment, ideally, because that's the ballooning section that's, that's causing the bandles ring. So you just cut the ring, get the child out. The other is kind of like a shoulder dystocia, kind of like a Rubens or a Woods corkscrew, which is if the shoulder's constricted behind the thickened band, it basically put your hand behind the shoulder and try to pivot it out. Uh, remember I said during the lead-in, it's kind of like a shoulder dystocia maneuver, but at a C-section, kind of the same thing. Try to release that shoulder from the uh, from the band uh, and just leave the band alone if you don't have to incise it. It, it usually does kind of have some kind of extension because you have to do these maneuvers, which increases your risk of postpartum hemorrhage. Um, but typically, if, if done correctly, your EBL can be a little bit above a 1,000, but it shouldn't be very dramatic, okay? So all to say, there's no one real way to fix it. You can either uh, use bandage scissors to cut the band if necessary or just try to wedge or, or rotate the uh, impacted part of the, of the baby away from the band uh, to facilitate delivery. All right, podcast family. So we have covered Bandel's band, or is it Barnes' boundary line of demarcation? Who knows? Most people know it as Bandel because he gets all the limonite. So we're just going to stick with that. Anyway, Bandel's band, it is out there, guys. Be on the lookout for it. It's a good journal club discussion. Um, and, you know, I'm curious. I mean, have you seen something like this? Send me a Facebook message. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, like I said, this happened within our last 24 hours or so, or 48 hours. I'm not sure when the case actually happened. I just found out about it this morning. Uh, obviously, it was over the weekend. Uh, so as point of reference, we're doing this on 7-Eleven. Woo! Like the store, 7-Eleven. So we're doing this at the end of Monday. I think this happened over the weekend uh, with with our partner. So it is out there. Bandles Band. Kind of funky. It is real. Uh, and if caught early, have a high index of suspicion to prevent some real potential morbidity. All right, podcast family, as always, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.